Hi, this is Daniel James, and this is the podcast of Triple R's The Mission, a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The Mission is broadcast live on Triple R each Tuesday evening. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. Good evening. And welcome to episode 00000233 of The Mission. My name is Daniel James. I'm going to be hosting this next hour for you between 7 and 8, broadcasting to you from Triple R World Headquarters, which of course is at the end of the 96 line, which is on the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. And I pay my respects to their elders past and present, to any mob that are out there listening wherever you may be, and to everyone who is tuning in this year program this Tuesday evening. Thank you to Billy for filling in for Vaughny for Double Bounce. Always love uh, Billy's fills. Always uh, brings an eclectic range of music, um, some chill, some dance, and some in between. And uh, like you said, I believe Vaughny will be back next week for uh, Double Bounce. <clears throat> now, um, at any one given time in this country, there seems like there are multiple inquests into the deaths in custody or in the presence of law enforcement of First Nations people. Various inquiries, custodial inquiries, hearings, etc., etc., going on all at once. So it can be easy to lose track of exactly what's going on. If you want to get an idea of what's going on, then I encourage you to go to the Guardian website and simply search for deaths in custody, and you'll see what I mean. Actually, you'll be actually surprised by how much is happening all at once across this country of ours. Um, a lot of grief, a lot of heartache, and the, the, the amount of self, I guess, observation as a society that happens around deaths in custody can all be seen there on, on that page. So... Um, uh, Lorena Allen and the team at The Guardian do a great job reporting on Indigenous affairs, so I encourage you to go there. Uh, so today, word came through from Sydney and was reported in various places that a police officer has been charged over the death of an Aboriginal teenager. He was killed when he, the trail bike he was riding collided with an unmarked police car back in Sydney in 2022. I actually believe uh, it happened on one of the days the mission was actually on air. So I think we reported on it at the time, but it's hard to recall because there are so many things that we report on when it comes to this type of reporting. The Aboriginal teenager's name was Jai Kalani Wright, and the officer who is said to have been driving the uh, the vehicle and will face char- face charges of dangerous driving occasioning death and negligent driving occasioning death was uh, Sergeant Benedict uh, Bryant. Bryant. Sorry, let me get that right. Sergeant Benedict Bryant. The Dungaddy teenager, Jai Kalani Wright, who died on the 20th of February 2022 after the collision the previous day, was 16 years old. Uh, a coronial inquest started at the start of this week into his death and was halted on the second day of what was to be a two-week hearing by the state coroner, Teresa O'Sullivan, who halted proceedings and referred the matter to the New South Wales Director of Public Prosecutions, or the Office of the Department of uh, Public Prosecutions, the ODPP. An ODDP 
an ADPP spokesperson said, court attendance notice were filed on Monday for offences of negligent driving occasioning death and dangerous driving occasioning death. The inquest heard on Monday that the New South Wales police believed the bike Wright was riding had been stolen along with a black Mercedes and a white BMW on the morning of the collision. Council assisting the coroner Peggy Dwyer SC told the court on Monday that officers were ordered to stay in the area but not to pursue the stolen vehicles. But soon after, according to CCTV and in-car video footage played to the court, Sergeant Bryant could be seen swinging his unmarked police car in front of the trail bike, which then collided at high speed with said vehicle. Dwyer said Bryant did not activate his lights or siren. Now, we won't comment on this case any further until it's uh, actually heard in court, but that's what was reported at the uh, inquest into Jai's death. And I don't want to make any sort of specific point about these proceedings, but I will say this, um, just as a general observation, that out of all the deaths in custody since colonisation, since federation, since the Royal Commission in the Black Deaths in Custody, not one law enforcement official has been found guilty of an Aboriginal death related to any matter. Inside prison, inside jail cells, inside holding centres, inside remand centres, in custody on the way back from being arrested to jail houses, not one law enforcement official has been found guilty of an Aboriginal death. So I'll say this, the system is very good at looking after its own. And when I say its own, I don't mean just members of the police services or prison services or in between. I mean their own kind, white people, who are invariably the ones that are charged with these murders and are the ones that uh, usually get off. So we'll watch all of the inquests, all of the legal proceedings, all of the court dramas that are surrounding the various tragedies around black deaths in custody, and we will remain vigilant to see how these things unfold because in terms of justice, it's very thinly spread when it comes to these matters. Now, speaking of justice, we will be joined uh, this hour by um, Ian Ham, friend of the show, who made an impassioned speech last week during um, the 16th anniversary of the Apology to the Stolen Generations. Ian is a member of the Stolen Generations himself. We'll talk to him about the urgency that's required in terms of getting reparation plans and systems in place in various jurisdictions across this country and why it is so urgent. So we will be joined by him shortly. Um, if you've got anything that you want to comment uh, in relation to the show, there is a text line, 1027 But uh, let's get on with the show. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website, rrr.org.au. Last week, uh, we touched upon the 16th anniversary of the Apology to the Stolen Generations before playing an hour of Charlie Pride for various reasons that I won't go into. Um, but this year, I've personally found myself fortunate enough to have had a number of several in-depth conversations with members of the Stolen Generation. And I think it goes without saying that those conversations have touched me deeply and enriched my understanding of what they've been through and what they continue to go through. 
So it just so happens that uh, in front of me, I have friend of the show, Ian Ham, who had an article in The Guardian last week, which was an extract of a uh, speech he gave in Canberra during the 16th anniversary of the Apology to the Stolen Generations, in which uh, he appeals to parliamentarians um, at the federal level on both sides of the House to place pressure on state and territory governments that don't have a redress scheme in place for Stolen Generation members at the moment. Uh, just to refresh your memory, uh, Ian is a Yorta Yorta man, uh, a child of the Stolen Generation. He chairs and is a member of a number of boards, boards, including the Indigenous Land and Sea Corporation, the Community Broadcast Foundation, Connecting Home, the Healing Foundation, Homeless Glen TAFE, and the Australian Institute of Company Directors. Uh, the article, like I said, is an edited version of a speech he gave at a gathering in Parliament last week. Ian, welcome back to the mission. Hello, Daniel. Um, how have you been? Yeah, good, mate. Good. Just uh, busy into the new year. Uh, it's not so new anymore. But no, yeah, not at all. Um, how far have we come in 16 years? Uh, we're further than we were 16 years ago, but, I'm, but we've only come uh, part of the way that we should have gone by now. Um, mm. Yeah, that's, that's probably the best way to put it. We've come forward a bit, uh, but we still have a long way to go. Um, how much, I mean, let's talk about redress screen schemes, right? Mm. First, let's start at the very start. Yep. What is a redress scheme? Okay, so it's basically a uh, package that's put together in response to uh, something that's happened to a group of people, something that's uh, um, such as, um, well, the stealing of children, the stealing of children, the um, uh, or a, it's a population type of response, so you've got in this case, the stealing of children, or you've got the National Sexual Abuse Response uh, Scheme, those type of things. So it's a package of of things. So it can be a package of services, such as counselling or other type of things. It can be financial compensation, and it can be a formal apology. So they're things that, for example, come together to make a redress scheme. Would it be fair to say that they usually start with a formal apology? Yes, they usually do start with a formal apology. Uh, so a, a um, high level or a lead apology might be the way of putting it. The obvious one is the apology to the stolen children by yeah. Kevin Rudd. But there has been numerous apologies since then for different things. So yes. e- even uh, last week, no, week before, Thursday, week ago, the Victorian Parliament apologised to children that had been in the care of the state or people who'd been in the care of the state as children yep. up to 1990 because the state the, st- the state admits it's a terrible parent. And uh, so there was a formal apology in Parliament by Jacinta Allen. Uh, John Prosciutto, the opposition leader, uh, spoke supporting the motion, as did the Greens leader, Samantha Ratram. So it was, a, it was one of those rare joint sittings of both houses together, and it was quite an event. Now, a lot of kids that are in state care, um, in care of the state up until 1990 were also members of the Stolen Generation. Yes, they were. The Victorian government, um, some years ago, and you were involved in the development of the redress scheme, uh, actually started a redress scheme for uh, Stolen Generation people in Victoria. Um, some say, would, of course, say far too late, given that we've lost mm-hmm. so many members of that generation over over the years. Um like I said, you were involved in the development of it. What was what's the aim of it? What, what's 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 the plan? What's okay. what's it supposed to address and redress? Okay, so so 
I guess putting it together, one of the things which really has always happened to those who've, who've suffered uh, suffered because of circumstances that result in these schemes, so using the stolen children as an example, is their lives have usually been really hard. Um, mm. One of the things, and it's a measure of the contriteness of society at large, government is the, lead, is the pointy end of it, but it's society at large, you know, what is their... Con- how contrite are they for this that happened? That this happened to our own people, yep. just essentially ordinary Australians, um, is financial compensation. That like it all up, but that's how our society measures things. So there is that component of it. The second is, and and uh, there is the the lead apology, if you like. But one of the aspects of the stolen generation scheme here in Victoria is that each person who um, uh, qualifies for it not only gets financial redress, they get a personal apology. Now, they can choose how that is, face-to-face or in written form. It's interesting to note that Dan Andrews, the former Premier, would hand-sign every one of those. Not- I, I actually heard as well that um, on some occasions he would actually um, travel out yes. and um, hand the letter himself to members I, of the Stolen Generation. I had heard that as well. So he would, he would actually do it himself, which was a huge thing. The third aspect of it is programmatic support and access to services, uh, counselling and other support services. So a, buck, uh, a bucket of money. Okay, it was a bucket of money was set aside for funding those type of things oh, it is. as well. I mean, that's, I mean we, there's no other way to sort of describe it. Like you said, that's the way we, we work. If, if, we, yep. if there's some sort of um, uh, remedy to um, anyone's societal issues or the way they've been treated by the state, it's, it comes yeah. down to cash. It comes down to cash. So, so the cash aspects is direct financial compensation and also um, f- funding to provide services to people as well. Yeah. Victoria has had the redress scheme here for, for how long? Well, a bit over 18 months now. And what, is, what does it look like around the rest of the country? Okay, so... Uh, Tasmania had one that went for 12 months, and this was some years ago. went for 12 months. It, it paid uh, up to $10,000. Right, which, for, is, which, is, which is loose change. Loose change. Uh, South Australia had one which paid, again, up to $10,000. It was only open for 12 months, up to $10,000. But when they had money left over, they dispersed that net of $5,000 to... Uh, those who'd qualified, and it was like $15,000, which for a lifetime of distress because you were stolen as a child is insignificant. New South Wales has had a scheme, and I'm, I, th- I think if it hasn't closed, it's very close to finishing. Um, their scheme was a bit different in that uh, they assessed, and actually the, the South Australian scheme did this too. It, it compared people's experiences and graded them if you like, so that uh, it would say that Joe Bloggs' experience was terrible, horrible. They were in the uh, Kinchula boys' home and stuff. They get 70000 bucks. But um, Fred Nurks, he was stolen, but he was adopted and stuff. Therefore, he only gets $10,000. So they're trying to quantify <clears throat> pain well, and, and put a dollar term, com- a dollar amount or not. Comparing, comparing people's experience. Comparing people's lives, which is a horrible thing to do. Mm. Um, now, the Commonwealth schemes and the Victorian schemes, they don't do that. They focus on uh, the act of removal. So if you were removed from family, community, country, culture, you know, all of, it. In, all of that, in, in, in Victoria, for example, 
you are eligible for the scheme. What happened after your removal is a separate thing. So, so, right. so if you were, and so you might you might have redress somewhere else. As, again, yes, as yes. well. In addition to, not instead of, or right. to be deducted from. In addition to, so the National Sexual Abuse Response Scheme. So you might be a stolen child from Victoria and yep. removed in Victoria. You are eligible for the Victorian scheme. As a result of that, you were put in a circumstances where as a child you were sexually abused, mm-hmm. being that in the care of the state or whatever it is, you were therefore eligible for that scheme as well. Yep. And so it adds up, which is really when you think about the damage it is caused to a person's life, it's not really all that much money at all. It, you, can't, you can't dollar value a life and say it is only worth this much. So, How onerous is the process here in Victoria? First of all, for for proving to the scheme yep. that you were stolen. And then if you were, you know, as happened um, dozens, perhaps hundreds of times, put in a home or in foster care where you received further abuse, yep. how onerous are these processes for mob? Yep. So, so when we developed the scheme in, here in Victoria, that, and the Commonwealth scheme is a lot the same too because I sat on the development of that. So there's yep. amazing consistency between those two schemes. <laughs> hmm. um, but fundamentally, what what we looked at was the fundamental thing is to cause no more harm, yep. right? And we also, everybody is well aware now of the circumstances that records can be patchy, that... Um, uh, they can be patchy, but they can be more, they're more thorough than you think, too. Oh, they are, too. So, so what we did was, first of all, records can be patchy. However, accessing records that do exist, particularly those held by the state, can be awfully difficult if you don't know how to navigate. Yes. So, so we decided that we would make the bar reasonably low and we used we used a benchmark that they use in civil law. Does this look reasonable to an ordinary person in ordinary circumstances? Mm-hmm. And so if a person says, uh, I was taken at two years of age and I was put in a home and then I was adopted, the onus is on the state, so the application comes into... Um, the state government, Department of Justice, the unit there, they are the ones who go after the records, not the applicant. Yeah, So, right. So because one of the things is we don't want to re-traumatise people. Yep. Uh, navigating the system to get access to that stuff is really difficult. Mm. And when you look at the similarities of a lot of stories too, where there mightn't be formal evidence, but you can see what this person is saying well, is for so instance, consistent with so many others, in all likelihood on the balance of probabilities – this is right. Yeah, so that, I, mean, I, I know some people now, I won't, of course, mention their names or anything, but they are um, uh, applying, you know, they're, they're late in their life. Um, they are applying for under this redress scheme. Their um, uh, brother was taken away from them under different circumstances. Yeah. Um, they were taken maybe 18 months or so uh, later. Yep. Um, you know, the, the the Crown was very good at keeping paperwork in those days. But you would, you would imagine that um, uh, there's enough commonality there, enough commonality of circumstance to use common yep. sense when chasing down... That, that's a really interesting scenario. You would say somebody, who's, their older brother or sister was taking... There are so many siblings who have applied for this. Yeah. I see that asterisk... Uh, Joe Bloggs, Asterix, sister of Jane Bloggs, who uh, was um, approved in 
uh, yeah, batch right. number nine. Yep. You see that so often. I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so you can see the trail. You can, you can track it. You, can, you get a sense. Interestingly too, Daniel, the names that are reported of those who were involved with the removal from the um, – uh, from the from the government side, mm-hmm. or from in, or from the um, organisational side involved in the removal, there is a number of consistent names that appear in that. So you can see there are these people who this was clearly something they did over a number of years was take Aboriginal children they, and put them. In, yeah, well, it's what they were either that was their job, that was their what they're not for you know, what their entity did, whatever it was. But so you can see those things. So if somebody applies and says, uh, Mr. Smith yeah, was right. involved in my removal, uh-huh, Mr. Smith of Upper Kambakna West is the same Mr. Smith who's, Red remember that one from there, away. there, there, there. Yeah. This is this Mr. Smith. So you can actually build that stuff up and you can see there mightn't be lots of paperwork, but you can see the pattern, the story. It logically makes sense. People don't make this stuff up. Um, and it's just, yeah, you can see it. 7.30 this Tuesday evening, you listen to The Mission on 3RRFM, or perhaps you're listening via the National Indigenous Radio Service, however you're listening. Thank you very much. I'm speaking with Ian Ham. He's got his fingers in many pies, but we're speaking about him here not only as a former senior bureaucrat, but also as a member of the Stolen Generation, about redress schemes and what they are, how they work, and why we need to revisit them in some states and territories around the country. Now, you made a speech last week in which you pleaded to parliamentarians across the board to place pressure on premiers and state governments to not only establish um, redress schemes, but to re-establish redress yes. schemes. Yep. So, like I said, I asked earlier, what, what does it look like across the country as we sit here? Okay, so what it looks like now is you've got... Uh, Victoria is the benchmark, so our scheme is the best, uh, the most open, the most transparent and so forth. Um, uh, the Commonwealth is the next one. So Victoria, $100,000 flat, not graded. It's If you qualify for the scheme, payment of $100,000 and a written apology so forth. Uh, the Commonwealth is the next one, $87,000. So tell me, explain to me, why would you apply for a... Victorian one and not a Commonwealth one, or a, um, a Commonwealth one and not a Victorian. Okay, so one. so the schemes around Australia have basically developed that it is the the state or the territory where you were removed from your initial removal. So if you were removed here in Victoria, um, but you ended up, you know, being taken to I don't know Queensland Kensi. or somewhere, or you've moved to New South Wales, yep. the act of removal happened here in Victoria. We are responsible, right? And so that's where, that's how that grew up with the jurisdictions. The Commonwealth one is about the territory. So the Northern Territory, the uh, ACT and Jarvis Bay, interestingly, on the New South Wales coast, is a Commonwealth territory. Um, so so that's how that ended up. So Victoria is the benchmark. Yep. Commonwealth's not far behind. Then you have this massive gap to uh, New South Wales. I recall it a, a massive gap to New South Wales. And then even below that, an even more massive gap to South Australia and Tasmania. And then you've got a gap to know to nothing, nothing being Western Australia and Queensland. They have not established um, 
redress schemes to date and have given no indication that they are. So uh, good old which, in WA my view, is just not acceptable. Good old WA and good old Queensland. Yep. So so I took the opportunity last Tuesday when I describe, was... Yeah, describe the setting. Where were you? <laughs> so I'm at Parliament House in Canberra in Kings Hall, which is the big, the big hall one. there. Yep. It's for the National Apology Anniversary Breakfast. Uh, it's about, I don't know... 500, 600 people there. Yep. Um, I'll turn up for this breakfast. And um, uh, I got contacted about, would you speak at it? And I said, sure. And I thought, they'll put me on last. Well, yeah, let's be honest, Dan. You've never walked past a microphone that you don't like. Well, you know, there's, <laughs> there's that thing, Daniel. There's three things you should never do. Give me a microphone, an audience, and a license to say what I want. You've done that, made a mistake by that way. Huh? But there is, but that's the thing. So I thought, oh, yeah, I'll be, you know, right at the back end of it when half the people have left and whatnot. Yeah, at the end of the day, turns out no. So, so, <laughs> so uh, I was up near the beginning. So there was uh, Jeff McMullen was emceeing it. The first speaker was uh, the Deputy Prime Minister Richard Miles, mm-hmm. followed by the Prime Minister. Anthony Albanese, followed by moi, me. Where was uh, where was the opposition? Oh, they were sitting in the ch- they were sitting down, okay. chewing on their you know having their breakfast, um, <laughs> finishing but, off a stubby, chewing on the tobacco, spitting um, it out into a spit bowl. Uh, so so, but it, it was actually an opportunity that I thought you only get these opportunities once, and it's an audience who are here. It's an audience, well, you know. I could just talk about – I think I was supposed to talk about my experience as a stolen child. Bores me to death. I've talk, talked about it long too much. It doesn't mean I won't do it, but I just thought I'm not going to waste the five well, minutes that po- allocated You've got a point me. here. You've, got, a, you've, got, you've yeah. got an opportunity. And so I took it, which was to talk about to talk about two things. We now live in the world post-referendum. Where is that – you know, there was a few things I talked about there, but it was mainly about – there is unfinished business around the stolen children. The apology by Kevin Rudd started it, but there's unfinished business and it's this redress reparation stuff and these other states have to lift their game on it. So I basically asked all parliamentarians, so I said everybody, to all members of the House of Representatives and all the senators, I have a job for you. That is to go and, what did I say, talk to, engage with, hassle, hustle, Badger, bludgeon, I really don't care. The premiers and governments of those states who who need to either A, revisit their stolen generation schemes, or B, start one. So it seems to me that in the wake of um, the the failed referendum is that way before treaty, there are things that we can do now to, to send a message to First Nations people and send a message to the broader community that we're serious about things. Yep. One of them, of course, is to implement the recommendations from the Royal Commission to the Black Deaths in Custody. Yep. All of them. All of them. Or maybe even go and have another one because things have changed. Systems have changed. People have changed. Times have changed. Another thing that we can do way before treaty that uh, doesn't have to wait is this. Yes. Yes. This, this is what we did in Victoria. The, the First People's Assembly... When it was when it was suggested that oh stolen generations redress could be part of treaty, it was actually the first people's assembly who said no, it can't. It needs to be dealt with now. Yes. Treaty, we don't know how long it will take. Where it will go, it needs to be dealt with now and needs to be done separately. And if you don't do it, 
we're not going anywhere on this. And so the government responded and said, all right, we'll do it first off. We'll do it as the first thing that we do. And to their credit, they did. That can happen in in uh, Queensland. Uh, it can happen in Western Australia. It can happen in, well, the Commonwealth's already done it. So if there ever, ever is a national treaty, they've already done a redress scheme. So so it can happen now, and there's no reason for it's not, not to. The only reason it's not is a lack of will. Yeah. How urgent do we need to get on top of this? What's what's happening with the numbers this, of stolen this, generation? This members? is extraordinary. This is extraordinarily urgent because people are getting older. I mean, I turned sixty this year, and I'm at the younger You're end. The of younger it. end of it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was born in '64. Um, the youngest ones I've seen in the Victorian scheme that have come through, uh, I think the youngest I've seen is 53. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not young. Not in no. Aboriginal life terms. That's no, not that young. For a, so, for a large so part of our are, life, that was. Towards the end of life expectancy. That's right. So people, people, sadly, our people are dying. And the biggest thing re- this scheme delivers to people is an acknowledgement that their life is real. That that what yes, the yeah, hurt and the trauma. It's real. Yeah. And that's been one of the really biggest things that we've got as as, as a reaction to it when people uh, qualify for the scheme and 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 uh, get a financial payment. They're grateful for that and they feel that's that's a just outcome. But what people have fed back is what they really appreciate is the letter. Yeah. It is to them. Yeah. It is about their experience alone, signed by the Premier of the day. Yeah. It has a huge impact on their life. Oh, look, I think that's why, you know, like I said at the start of this conversation that I've had the, um, the, the fortune to have, you know, real in-depth conversations with members of the Stolen Generation in... in recent weeks and um they're some of the most enriching conversations you'll ever have with anyone because the thing i take out from it is that invariably all they want to be is heard yeah and if you sit down with them and you look them in the eye and you listen intently to their stories and what they went through and the lessons that they're trying to impart to the rest of us to make sure that this never happens again um I think it's probably one of the greatest gifts you can give them because the gift they give you by, by laying it out for you is, is immense. But the gift of listening and recognising and acknowledging that this happened is, like you said, probably probably worth far more than, than any sort of financial settlement, settlement that, you can, that any hmm. state or territory or government can give them. Hmm. That thing of being heard, it's also, I guess, for, for stolen children as well, a responsibility to be... Um, responsibility to talk about our own experiences to ensure it doesn't happen again to anybody else yeah that's that's that for me is probably i mean when i said it you know i don't talk about myself because it bores me to tears i do talk about myself on the basis that uh you have to hear this so you know that this should not happen again yeah have have to be you know we have to be the watchers to remind people of it's one of those things, if you forget these things, you are doomed to repeat them, you yeah. know? And so we have to ensure that these things are never forgotten, not not because it's a bad thing to put in people's minds, but to ensure we don't do it again. That's why the treaty process here in Victoria and the accompanying uh, Europe Justice Commission, those sorts of things are, are so vitally important, not just for enriching the lives of First Nations people, but for enriching the state and all the systems that go with it as, yeah. as a whole. 
So um, thank you for raising it in front of uh, Real Power last mm. week. Um, thank you for raising it uh, here. Thank you for coming in again. Uh, we'll have you back, no doubt, this year on probably two or three occasions, I would imagine. We'll get a T-shirt made for you. <laughs> but um, Ian Ham, thanks very much. Always a pleasure, Daniel. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's The Mission, a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The Mission is broadcast live on Triple R every Tuesday evening. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website.